0: Uh, I would like to read our second lesson to you. We have been trying to go through the gospel according to Matthew ever since before Christmas. Um, we did not uh, deal with the Sermon on the Mount because we have done that on another occasion. But I tried to take striking events and narratives from the gospel of Matthew and to go through it and we will continue to do so right on through Easter. Uh, today's lesson comes from Matthew chapter 26 I shall begin reading at verse 1 through verse 13. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 1 following. And it came about when Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be delivered up for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were called together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas. And they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and to kill him. But they were saying, not during the festival, lest a riot occur among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it upon his head as he reclined at table. Well, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. And they said, What is the point of this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price in the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume upon my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word.
1: Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you and worship this morning in Gaither Chapel. And Lord, I just thank you for the way that you've blessed my entreat in this community and we look out this morning and see your beautiful creation and the many things that you've done for us as a as a nation and, and as a small town. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless this church and this community through the ministry of the Montreat Presbyterian Church and the conference center here and Lord I pray that you would be with the rulers of this country and be with the president and give him leading and guidance in the sensitive and critical world affairs that we're now facing And Lord I pray that you would just help us be ever mindful of of how greatly you have blessed us and let us be willing to reach out and help people in other parts of the world that have, have not been so touched by the material blessings as we see them. Lord, above all, we pray that you would give us the, the yearning to reach out to others, to touch them with your love and the saving knowledge of your Son. We pray these things in your name. Amen.
0: Fitting that Joel should have been here this morning too. Um, Let us introduce him to the congregation, especially when we take up the subject that we take up here in the 26th chapter of Matthew. We are entering into the most important week in the entire history of the human race, in all of the history of the world. And the events that are going to take place in that week We'll study more about later on in individual and in group studies in our church, and we'll emphasize in our Sunday morning worship and in our prayer meeting time. But let me show you from Matthew 26 what I mean. Uh, Jesus had been teaching, and when he had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming. The Passover was an event. I always like to stress that. The gospel is not a myth. It is based upon concrete, real events. Just as real as you are. Just as real as your sins are. Just as real as death is. Just as real as heaven and hell are. We are not dealing with fairy tales. We are not dealing with abstract, abstruse, theological thought that has no bearing upon your life. It does. The Exodus was an event and uh, it was going to be celebrated in the new Passover lamb who is the son of God himself, who will be broken upon the cross, is going to be the one who shall be the object of our worship. And in spite of all of the teaching that he had given to his disciples, it seems that This woman, Mary of Bethany, is the one who has caught hold of what he has been trying to say to them and which they have found so difficult to take in. They still had visions of an earthly kingdom uh, demonstrating his power and authority over the Romans. Uh, We are told here that the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered together in the court of the high priest Caiaphas, the Sadducees and the Pharisees who would normally have nothing to do with each other because one represented an extreme conservative group, the other represented an extreme liberal group, but the one thing they'll get together on is killing Jesus. And they get together for this. And they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and to kill him. But they were troubled because the festival was going to occur and they didn't want to riot and for the Romans to move in authority and uh, to destroy what measure of autonomy they had. But Jesus had gone to a home in Bethany, a home here which is described as the home of Simon the leper. I like to think of this as some leper that Jesus has healed, undoubtedly. Maybe it was one of those lepers who called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Heal me, if you will. And Jesus healed him. And even though he was a person who might have had a large home which could accommodate Jesus and 12 other men, plus others who would be coming in, it must have been a large house, Simon the leper was ostracized because of his disease. But Simon the leper is healed now, and so he can give a feast in honor of Jesus. And it must have been an occasion which brought some joy to the heart of Jesus. And uh, Jesus was very happy there amongst his friends. Lazarus had been raised from the dead, and he was there. Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, were there. This would create a tension. This is why there will be such a crowd on Palm Sunday, because Lazarus had been dead and had been brought back to life again. And in John's record of this same event we read about, the emphasis placed upon Lazarus. Well, this Mary of Bethany is not to be confused with the woman who is a sinner in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50 who came into the house of Simon the Pharisee. Uh, Simon was a very common name. We have Simon Peter. Uh, we have Simon the leper. We have Simon the Pharisee. Simon was a name that, that was uh, just as common as Joe would be uh, uh, in our own day. It was uh, a very, very common name. Uh, so he goes into this house of Simon the leper, who had been a leper, but he still keeps that name uh, as a designation because there are so many Simons. And uh, into this house comes Mary. Now this is the same Mary uh, who you remember sat at Jesus' feet listening to him teach. And her sister Martha came to Jesus complaining that she was doing all the work and Mary was sitting there listening to him and And Martha said, why don't you tell her to get up and come and help me uh, prepare the meal for all these men we've got to feed. And Martha was a good soul, but she was putting the emphasis on the wrong thing. She was one of those people who fussily work all week and then say it was no trouble at all. And uh, uh, (laughs) they invite you to their home, and when you leave, you feel like you've almost given them a nervous breakdown because you've visited uh, well, Martha wanted too much, and that's what Jesus really says. Martha, Martha, you're troubled about many things. One thing is needful. Now, Mary has chosen the greater part. Don't deny this uh, thing of her. You're making too big a thing out of this. And uh, this gets into church work all the time. Uh, you can find it in every family night supper. You, <laughs> you can find it in every church kitchen. Uh, You can find it in the preparation of flowers. You can find it in in all kinds of things. Uh, But here, Mary. uh, Mary has a sensitivity to... Martha does too. She has a strong sensitivity to spiritual things and gave a great confession of faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Uh, But she was just one of those fussy uh, individuals who has become the fuss budget of the ages. Um, because of her activity. Now Mary, every time we find Mary, Mary seems to be silent, listening. She's picking up on what Jesus is teaching. And it shows here that uh, she understood what his own disciples did not yet understand, that he was actually not going to usher in the kind of kingdom that they had thought about, but that his kingdom was quite different. Now, she is baffled by it still. She doesn't understand it all. But she has an intuitive knowledge that Jesus is going to be nailed upon a cross and that he is going to die and it's going to be in this tremendous Passover week and that it has something to do with the salvation of man and how he can be redeemed from his sins. She has caught on to that. And so Martha and Mary are different in type, but Mary has caught this. And so Mary takes an alabaster of vile, of ointment, of nard. It was a tremendously costly thing. Even in our inflationary figures today, I was reading one new commentator yesterday who said that uh, the cost of this perfume would have been in today's American economy about $9,000, an enormously expensive uh, thing. Uh, She comes to where Jesus is, and she crushes this little box of ointment. Now, when it's broken, it means it can never be used again, that box can. Well, the minute that it breaks, the fragrance of it goes all over the room. She anoints both his head and his feet if we put the composite accounts together. And uh, uh, while the odor circulates around the room and Jesus accepts this thing which he has done, uh, Matthew tells us the disciples were indignant. John tells us that Judas speaks up. And Judas feigns a concern for the poor. And Judas says, why was this ointment not sold and the money given to the poor? Think of all the poor people that are out in the street. And John puts in a little parenthetical comment about Judas. He says Judas said this not because he cared for the poor, but Judas said this because he had the money bag and he was pilfering from it. He was stealing from it. He tries to hide behind a great ethical concern and make a very spiritual statement, which is not true. But Jesus will not allow this to go by, and so he corrects this thing. Uh, uh, the, in reading this and studying it carefully, and I've been looking at it over a period of weeks, uh, the original language has the disciples glowering at this woman at Mary glowering at her angry expressions on their face why have you wasted uh, all this ointment why didn't you sell this and their carping criticism gets out and uh, you can imagine how she felt she was doing something that was beautiful and good And here they are acting like this. But Jesus is going to correct them. And so he promptly does. Jesus was aware of this. And he said to them, why do you bother the woman? Why are you troubling her in this way? She has done a good thing to me. She has done a good thing to me. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not have me always. In other words, Jesus is not saying here, giving any excuse for not taking care of poor people, because he's taught us too many other things about that. You remember he said on the last day, and it was there in that week of the temple discourses, that many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, uh, when did we see you hungry and, and cold and naked? and uh, didn't minister unto you. And Jesus will say, inasmuch as you did not do it unto one of these least, uh, you did not do it unto me. So Jesus is not here saying that we should use this as an excuse uh, to be extravagant in building of churches and monuments and memorials and not do something uh, for the poor. No, not at all. But he is saying that uh, Mary has caught the meaning of this minute this precise moment, and she has seized upon it to demonstrate that she knows that this is the Son of God who is going to die. And that's what Jesus says. She is anointing me for my burial. You don't even understand what's going to take place in the next few days. But she has anointed me for my burial. Now, what Mary has done is that she is showing us how precious the true worship of Jesus Christ really is. She is showing us that it is a very costly thing. We are to worship him with our substance. We are to worship him with our substance and we are to use the opportunity that we have when opportunity This precious boy who was standing here a moment ago will go to the dangerous border between Uganda and Kenya because he loves Jesus. He could take his degree in aviation and in mechanics and work for Delta or for American Airlines or some other Air company that he choose would choose to work for, but somehow the Lord has touched his heart in a special way that has made him willing to go and to give his service to try to assist people that are hungry and distressed and to work in a hard way. That's a costly thing. He is giving himself, so we worship Jesus with our substance, we worship him. Uh, With our service, we worship him with ourself, our substance. Uh, A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of attending a board meeting of a foundation down in Palm Beach, Florida. They never have any trouble getting a crowd in February uh, because it's terribly cold and snowy up here, and they set the meeting at the right time. And uh, um, at this meeting, I heard Harold Ockengay, Uh, speak to a group of people in a Little Plymouth Brethren Chapel. And Dr. Ockengay is the famed minister of the Park Street Church in in Boston who founded Fuller Theological Seminary, which now has 2,400 students, and who was chosen to found Gordon Conwell Seminary, which is also a huge theological seminary. Dr. Ockengay is a distinguished scholar and, and churchman and a great evangelical leader. Who has been on national television and is a worldwide figure. He's had a stroke within the past few years, and it was difficult for him to keep his line of thought when he was speaking. And yet, I remember him telling in his story about uh, uh, telling a story about a man that he knew uh, in California, who had heard him preach in some church out there when he was president of Fuller Seminary. And he flew all the way to Boston to ask Dr. Ockengay if he would resign his position at Park Street Church and come and live in California and be the pastor of their church. Dr. Ockengay did not feel that he was called upon to leave the pastorate of the Park Street Church and to accept this church in California, so he said that he he could not do that. uh, But the man became great friends with Dr. Ockengay and would invite him often to eat. They needed to build a chapel at Fuller Seminary. Uh, They had hundreds and hundreds of students. And uh, they needed a place to have the young men come and preach and uh, gather for worship and others to come in too. And so he mentioned this to this enormously wealthy man. And uh, he said, well, that's fine. I'll be glad to uh, help you with this. Uh, Send uh, your lawyer to talk with me about it and uh, I'll do something uh, about it. I'll talk with you. Uh, Ockengay left California, went back to Boston, and he got a telephone call from Charles E. Fuller of the Old Fashioned Revival Hour. Some of you may remember Dr. Fuller. I remember him very well. Dr. Fuller called Dr. Ockengay and, and he said, Harold, you'd better come out here because uh, your friend who wishes to give this money is asking a lot of questions and the lawyer doesn't know how to answer them and uh, we need you to come and to uh, help explain these things to him. Uh, He's putting off the uh, building of the building. Well, Ackenge said, I'll I'll be out there in a few weeks, and I'll see him and take care of it. In the few weeks, the man died. And he died uh, without a will, which meant that the state of California got all of his money. Ackenge said that sometime later, he was visiting Forest Lawn Cemetery. And he noticed in the place where movie stars and famous people are are interred, an elaborate memorial of gold and marble, exquisite in its uh, design and extremely costly. And then when he went to read who was buried there, he was shocked to read that it was his own friend whom he had known. The man had designed a memorial for himself and built it, but he had put off doing what he could have done for the Lord Jesus with his money, and it was a very dangerous thing to do. So we should not put off using our substance for the glory of Jesus Christ. And I admired Ockengay because he was saying this in Palm Beach, Florida, to a congregation of the richest people you'll find any place. And he was telling them to give some thought to what they're going to do with their money and to give thought to it now. Well, Mary took what she had and she gave it there, her substance, and it was costly. She wiped the feet of Jesus with her hair. This is the glory of a woman in Jewish circles the long hair which she untied and, and wiped the ointment away from his feet. Maybe in this way she was identifying herself with that woman who had come and also wiped his feet with the hair of her head in Luke 7, who was a sinner because they are sisters in Christ. Now, I don't believe they're the same persons, but I believe that there were two different people, but I believe that Mary of Bethany is now identifying herself with that Mary that was in Galilee, with that woman that was in Galilee, who was a sinner, a harlot from the street. There are too many di- differences in the account. There are some similarities. But I think uh, the similarity there is showing uh, that she is one with Christ uh, with this woman. Uh, her service is there. Our friend Joel is willing to give of his service service to christ and the disciples cried out why is this waste made when those men were killed out in ecuador there was a whole editorial written on that in the christian century why was this waste made that these five men were killed in ecuador thousands and thousands of missionaries have gone out as a result of those five men uh, people would have said it was a great waste when uh, Peyton uh, went to the new hebrides and they did He was an enormous intellect from Scotland who became a missionary to the Hebrides. They would say it was a great waste when uh, David Livingston mapped out Africa because he wanted uh, to uh, abolish the slave traffic and he wanted to map it out so that missionaries could come and bring the gospel of Christ to that benighted uh, continent. And when uh, Morton Stanley uh, found him Henry Stanley found him. Uh, He said to Livingston uh, that the New York Herald Tribune had paid his way to go out there and find him. And he said, I've come to get you and bring you home. And Livingston said, I am home. (laughs) He said, I'm out here because I want to be here. I'm here because the Lord sent me here. He said, I don't want to go back with you. And Stanley was shaken. He thought he was going out there to rescue him. Well, well, Livingston wasn't out there to be rescued. He was out there to serve Christ. And there are people who would say, why was this waste made? This brilliant man who was a medical doctor and explorer and and, uh, who was finally interred in Westminster Abbey. Well, why is this waste made? The world will never be able to understand uh, why people do that. If you'll forgive me for saying this personal thing, I can remember very well when I used to work, I won a, some kind of a speaking contest and, and uh, as a result of it uh, I became a campaign manager for Lyndon Johnson when he was a young congressman out in Texas. And as soon as I was 21 years old, uh, they wanted to run me for the state senate of Texas. And uh, the deal was that I would uh, run for the State Senate and that I would also go to the University of Texas at the same time and try to get my degree in law. Well, the Lord was working on me about that time, and uh, I couldn't get any peace in my soul uh, about—we used to use this word out in country churches, and I don't know why we can't use it here—surrendering to preach. (laughs) Boy, I'll tell you, to surrender to preach is quite a deal and uh i didn't want to surrender to preach i said look god you leave me alone about this preaching and i'll tell you what i'll do i'll go to washington and uh i'll make a lot of money and i'll give you half of it and uh i'll i'll pass some good laws i'll do all these other things and the lord's uh won't you I said, well, look, think about Henry Moore down the street. Henry's a sissy anyway. He make a great preacher. <laughs> and uh, he said, no, I want a football player. I want you. I, wa- I-, I want you to come. Man, I argued I-, I argued about this with the Lord. And finally, one night, I got down on my knees out in West Texas. I'll never forget it. I was the most miserable person. I said, all right, Lord. I'll even be a preacher (laughs) if it takes that to make you happy I'll even be a preacher well then I felt peace in my heart because I had surrendered my life uh, to his lordship and uh, this is where we surrender our service uh, to him but I I didn't tell you the sequel to that one of of Mr. Johnson's favorite people that later got to be a brigadier general and you can guess how um <laughs> he, he said for me to come down to his place of business. And he said, uh, uh, Calvin, we got everything all set for you to run for the Senate. And I said, I don't want to run for the Senate. He said, huh? And I said, I don't want to run for the Senate. He said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to be a preacher. He said, preacher. <laughs> he said, anybody can do that. <laughs> he said, you've got a chance to do something. You can be somebody. What are you going to do that for? And he was a chief steward in the Methodist church, biggest church in town. But he thought that was a big waste of an opportunity. Who in the world would throw his life away going into the ministry, he thought. And uh, uh, you, you see, this is what the world thinks. Well, they thought this was a great waste that this woman... Mary breaks this alabaster vial and pours this expensive ointment of nard upon the feet of Jesus, but she has done it for a reason, and she has done it because of her love for him. She has given of her substance, she has given of her service, and she has given herself to him. She has given herself to him. Now let me close by, last week we had lunch with Dr. Uh, Gutsky who preached so well here. Isn't it wonderful? 85 years old. And uh, later we went to eat lunch and Billy Graham was there and, and uh, Billy and Dr. Gutzke were talking. And the question was asked of Dr. Gutzke, who is the person who knew the Bible better than any other person you ever knew? And Gutsky's eyes glistened with tears. He's 85. And he said, oh, that's easy. He said, it was my father-in-law. Now, Dr. Gutsky married a Jewess who was a Christian, and her father had come from Russia, where he had been training to be a rabbi. And in the rabbinical school, they had to study heresies, Jewish heresies. And so they read about Christianity that it was a Jewish heresy. And uh, he thought it would be nice to find a copy of the New Testament to read the uh, documents for himself. And uh, there was a janitor at the school of the rabbis who was a secret Christian. And this janitor had a copy of the New Testament. And so he took Dr. Gutsky into the room where the big furnace was, And they took a lantern, and they read the New Testament. And uh, Dr. Gutsky's father-in-law, whose name was Bernstein, began to read all about Messiah. And he began to read about Jesus. And he thought, well, if the Messiah came, how could he be any different from Jesus? this has got to be the Messiah. And oh, he had already made a checklist of everything that the Messiah would be and Jesus fitted perfectly. And you know what he did? He was so happy, he went racing into the rabbi school and he said, I found him. I found the Messiah. Isn't it wonderful? But they didn't think it was wonderful. (laughs) They tried to reason with him at first. And uh, They couldn't dissuade him. And then they became angry at him because he could answer everything that they said. And then they kicked him out of the rabbi school, and his family said to him, you have brought disgrace upon us. And Dr. Gutsky said they wore black crepe upon their arm. They had a funeral, a burial service. They buried him. They forbade that his name ever be spoken again in their family, that his name could not even be mentioned. They put a 5,000 ruble price on his head for anyone who would kill him. That's what it cost to be a Christian. He had to wander around Russia for five years, then he made his way into Canada, and then finally into the United States. What what does it cost you in your substance? What does it cost you with your service? What does it cost you personally with yourself in your own day-by-day existence for the Lord? Have you really given yourself to him? Is this really applicable to us today? It is. Let me close. Billy Graham is going over to Russia. And I was talking with someone the other day about Anton Chekhov, the great Russian writer, playwright. Chekhov, in lecturing on writing, said, you want your writing to be realistic. Well, he said, think about an old broken bottle uh, at night and the reflection of the moonlight on the bottle. Uh, That's real. And he said, make your writing real. (coughs) And then Chekhov told an interesting story. He told... uh, the story of a divinity student who had uh, Russian Orthodox priest, who had gone out one Easter tide uh, to make his calls in the country, in the Orthodox churches years ago before the Revolution. And he got caught in a snowstorm, and he sought shelter in a cottage. And when he knocked on the door and the people came and opened the door, they saw this bearded cassock priest with his huge cross and they were frightened. It was just a poor widow and her daughter who was also a widow and they were humble people. And they invited the priest to come in and he warmed his hands by the fire. And while he was warming his hands by the fire he could see that they were very nervous. And so to put them at their ease and to make them feel comfortable he began to relate to them from the gospels because they were reading those stories from the gospel at that time of the year. He began to relate them how Peter had warmed his hands by a fire in the courtyard of Caiaphas, and how he had denied his Lord three times, and how the cock crew and Peter had realized that Jesus turned and looked at him, and he ran out into the darkness weeping bitterly because he had let his Lord down. And the priest said that he looked up at these two women and he saw that their faces had great tears running down their cheeks and falling off on their clothing. And they were weeping. They were weeping because they had identified with Peter just as much as if he had been a neighbor or a brother or a friend of theirs. He said that, as he went out into the cold and the dark and the night again he realized (coughs) that the gospel has nothing to do with time that a long chain from that cottage in Russia to that courtyard at Caiaphas tells us that God is real the gospel is real and that that did more to prove to him the reality of faith. Now, is Jesus real to you, real enough that you're willing to give your substance, real enough that you're really willing to serve him, to put out for him, really willing enough to give yourself, or is it just playing at Christianity? Let us all pray. Our Heavenly Father, In just a few short years, life is going to be over for every single one of us, and only what has been done for Jesus Christ will really count. We thank you for Mary of Bethany, that she hath done what she could. Help us to be willing to give ourselves sincerely to thee, so that our tongues are disciplined to obey thee, so that our substance, our wealth, is used to advance your kingdom, and so that our service to other people is done in the name of Jesus and for his glory with unselfishness. You know us and whether we're false or whether we're true. If there's been falseness in us, correct it this day and enable us to make peace with you. Guide each one of us as we go our separate ways and keep us close to Jesus Christ. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the one who can teach us and guide us, be and abide with us all now and forevermore.